Hi everybody, it's Derek, and this is Foreign Exchanges for January 13th, 2020. I'm going to be joined in just a few moments uh, via Skype, all the way from Jordan, in fact. Uh, sophisticated. Uh, by Fatima Aman. Uh, Fatima is a, a longtime Iran and South Asia analyst. She's a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council. Uh, her writing on Iran, on Afghanistan, on Pakistan, India uh, has appeared all over the place, really. Um, Low Blog, for example, which is where uh, I got to know her. Uh, but she's she's written for the Atlantic Council. She's written for the Middle East Institute. She's written. She's been uh, pretty widely published, uh, and she's one of the best people I know in terms of uh, unpacking events as they're happening in the region. Uh, and we're going to talk to her today uh, about what's happening inside Iran. You've read here, and no doubt in other places. Uh, about the effect of the assassination of Qasem Soleimani uh, and the subsequent Iranian missile strikes in Iraq, and uh, the uh, the the now the downing of this uh, Ukraine international uh, airliner, and what's what that's doing. Uh, regionally and what that means for U.S. foreign policy. Uh, Fatima is going to be able to walk us through what it's doing inside Iran, uh, what effect it's having politically uh, with people out in the streets, uh, what it means for the parties in Iran. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that angle of things uh, and try to shed some light on what's going on, especially in light, I think, of the, uh, the news about the other sort of revelation about the airliner, which is really uh, changing this story, I think, quite a bit uh, in, a, in a very unexpected way. Uh, so I'm going to get her on the line and we will start our interview. Okay, uh, coming to us via Skype from all the way from Jordan, uh, want to welcome Fatima Aman to the show. Uh, Fatima is a Iran and South Asia analyst whose work has appeared uh, all over the place. I went through this in the introduction, but Fatima, uh, thank you for coming on the show and welcome. Of course. Thank you for having me. So uh, the the topic of this show has changed somewhat in the last few days. Uh, when I first thought about asking you on, I wanted to, to talk about uh, what you saw as potentially the effect of the Qasem Soleimani assassination on uh, you know, thing in, internally in Iran on politics, on uh, the the protests that were going on, you know, before the assassination, how you saw things playing out. But uh, that's all kind of been turned on its head uh, with the revelation about the the shooting down of the Ukraine International Airliner on the same morning that uh, Iran retaliated for the Soleimani assassination. Uh, it sent people back into the streets and. Uh, uh, you know, has has really, I think, undercut any kind of uh, notion of what the response to the Soleimani assassination would be. So I want to start uh, before the the revelations about the the Ukraine flight came out. Uh, when when the Soleimani strike happened, uh, and we saw the the sort of funeral arrangements and people going out in the streets to uh, to commemorate him. What was your 
sense at that point of how things were likely to to play out? Uh, you know, the, uh, the immediate aftermath was that, uh, you know, Soleimani, who wasn't as popular as the, for some reason, the media is portraying him. Uh, yeah, he did uh, gain some popularity after his uh, role was revealed in defeating ISIS. But in domestically, he wasn't, you know, since uh, he was also part of the brain behind uh, crackdown on uh, student movement in the, you know, uh, during Khatami's presidency and other times. But, uh, you know, the, that time of uh, killing really rallied uh, people and, and invoked people's sympathy. You know, they, they, we saw millions of people, oh, at least hundreds of thousands of people on the streets. So, I mean, some kind of PR was also involved from the government to all these uh, nice and uh, advanced cameras to show the crowd even bigger than it originally was. But uh, it really uh, showed uh, people's dismay over that kind of uh, elimination, assassination by the United States. I think it did serve the uh, regime very well. Was, I mean, so what you saw, and I think what a a lot of people saw, maybe was this sort of like rally around the flag effect, like we've been attacked and, um, you know, it's, we need to maybe put our differences aside and and focus on that. was there, you know, we had had just come out of this period of several weeks uh, of protests. And now, you know, obviously the protests are happening again, but several weeks of protests over, uh, you know, cuts to fuel subsidies, austerity, kind of, you know, economic struggles. Uh, was it your sense that, um, you know, that was probably going to fade away? Uh, at that point, like people were going to at least take a break from that that sort of thing, and uh, kind of you know with the focus on uh, Soleimani and a potential confrontation with the U.S. Uh, I would describe it as a temporary, uh, you know, uh, way out for the for the regime. It wasn't going to stay. The sympathy wasn't wasn't going to stay forever. And remember that this time they were you know all, poor people. You know, people, workers, you know, lower middle class who were protesting the uh, unbelievable, uh, you know, increase in the price of the gasoline. Uh, that that protest didn't start from the intellectuals, right? So they are, uh, they feel they have nothing to lose. I mean, when the protest comes from the lower class it is in a way really could be more dangerous to the uh, to the regime uh, so they could feel like they have nothing to lose and that is going to shake any i would describe any regime any government everywhere uh, but that obviously i mean with the crackdown on of uh, according to reuters if that they, if the statistic is correct if the numbers are correct that uh, 1,500 people were killed, uh, that was really a uh, blow, I would describe it, to the legitimacy of the Islamic Republic. Uh, But that Soleimani uh, strike saved, you know, or uh, let the regime 
gained the momentum, I think. And uh, that was, I don't know if the uh, Trump administration was thinking of some, the after, I mean, the uh, consequence, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the result of that killing. Uh, but then they, uh, you know, with the uh, shooting down of the plane, which originally uh, where uh, the cause was hidden from the public and with all these contradictory explanations, with ha- which has, you know, added to the, uh, to the outrage, public outrage over it. So, uh, you know, people overnight find themselves being attacked from the foreign governments, and from their own, which is, uh, I mean, it's really very painful. And uh, I can't imagine that uh, uh, that would go away anytime soon. So that's, let's move then into sort of the aftermath of the the airliner being shot mm-hmm. down. Um, the, the story from... The Iranian side for, I think, three days was uh, this couldn't possibly have been shot down. It must have been a mechanical failure. failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's been some reports that have said they knew immediately, and the, you know, the IRGC knew immediately what had happened, and, uh, you know, they just didn't talk about it publicly. But, but regardless, there was this very abrupt announcement on Saturday morning that, oh, well, actually we did, we were responsible for shooting the plane down. Uh, and that's when, when people got, went into the streets. In your, is your sense that um, the, the frustration, the fact that people have, have been protesting, is it because, more because of the, 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 the sort of shooting down the airliner and the, the loss of life and the horrible tragedy of that? Is it frustration over... Uh, the fact that the Iranian government didn't just come out and admit what had happened. Uh, is it just a, a, a hangover? Is it more hangover from uh, the earlier protests that sort of, you know, wobbled after the Soleimani assassination, but now, you know, th- that that sort of gave people an, another reason to go back out in the streets? What What's your sense of, are these just a continue sort of more of a continuation of the protests that were happening, you know, over the last few months, or is it something new? I would I would describe it as both somehow. Just we have to remember, we have to note that, uh, you know, the those who are protesting right now, the students, are not the same people. I mean, not necessarily the same people. The poor people who were protesting the increase, the spike uh, in the price of gasoline, right? But that could all that brought back the, you know, the pain, the which is uh, is really very fresh from the most recent uh, protest that was cracked down so violently. Uh, the fact that I, people feel they are lied, they are, have been lied from the government, from the regime. You know, first of all, that is really a legitimate reason to be outraged when you find out that. Uh, they, uh, you know, the IRGC was obviously involved in the whole thing. They were, they failed to shut civil uh, flights uh, down properly, uh, as they saw, they saw the regime under, they saw the gov- the country under the threat. Right? right? They were taking the threat of uh, bombing 52 sites, 
uh, of Iranian uh, locations from the Trump administration very seriously. They should have, you know, sh- uh, stopped all civilian flights, which they didn't. So uh, they, uh, I mean, that is that is outrageous to people. I think they are sick and tired of all continuous lies all, you know, for so many years. And they, I think all any kind of sympathy they may have uh, in regard to Soleimani assassination uh, is gradually fading away. And I think uh, they see the lack of honesty, you know, suddenly they see themselves helpless you know, and being lied to so many times from their own uh, regime. I think that is what uh, what is, you know, the, uh, the driving factor behind the uh, most recent uh, protests from the students at the uh, major universities in Iran. What's your sense of how the Iranian government may respond now? My, it seems to me... Um, they probably expected to have a much longer grace period after the Soleimani assassination where people would be focused on the United States. They'd be sort of, uh, you know, there'd be sort of a nationalist wave of, of you know, support uh, for the country, if not for the government, that they could feed off of. Uh, and that, you know, this this is really like everything from shooting the plane down to the cover up uh, you know, has been just a, a huge, unexpected kind of self-inflicted wound uh, that that they're they may be scrambling now to to try and come up with a response for that. What, what's your sense of how things may go from here? Yes, I mean uh, they can, uh, you know, start another crackdown. Uh, you know, a new uh, a new crackdown on the uh, uh, student protest. And which is going to, uh, I think, it's going to be a chain protest. It's going really to, it's going to lead to more protests. Uh, and that can easily go out of control, by the way. And they can also be uh, patient and show more empathy toward people who have lost, uh, you know, uh, loved ones or those who are questioning the uh, the uh, action of the IRGC and the uh, people in charge, which that requires a lot of patience, <laughs> and uh, which I uh, I personally don't see it in the in the uh, po- current structure of the regime. Uh, the more uh, patient you show, they are afraid that it would go, it would just increase, it would just encourage more protests, more people come out and chant. So um, uh, I think they, uh, if the Iran is attacked uh, or if they, you know, say things that you will, we will be seeing right now, like to Trump starting uh, tweeting in Farsi, you know, if people would uh, more openly uh, talk about regime change, and uh, if things, but but especially if if there is an attack on Iran, I think that is going to again just uh, invoke all this nationalistic uh, sentiment uh, and could uh, calm down more recent pre- pro- protests. But uh, but uh, I do I. 
don't see how, to be honest with you, there is also a, an unpredictability factor to the Iranian uh, regime, how they have been uh, threatening their own uh, uh, citizens. Let's see how they would react to the students' protests. In the past, they have they showed no mercy and they were really very bold and very violent. Uh, let's see if they if they get it this time. But overall, I mean, this maximum pressure, I don't know if uh, you were about to come to that point. Let me tell you that that maximum pressure that the uh, Trump administration is enforcing against the uh, regime in Iran is really uh, made, it has made the regime more brutal and uh, give them has given them more uh, justification for, uh, you know, uh, treating people the way they have done that. So uh, I doubt that maximum pressure has ever worked with any government, with any regimes. Look at uh, North Korea, you know, uh, for so many years, or even for Cuba, Castro regime, they never, you know, bowed to the uh, the maximum pressure and, and economic. It's, it is economic pain, but I doubt that would really topple the government, topple the regime. Um, so let's see how the uh, how if their reason of you know voices of reason in Iran would also prevail so that they would stop and not go further in uh, in cracking down on the protests. So I did want to ask you about the Trump administration and, and maximum pressure, and especially uh, these kind of odd tweets that are suddenly appearing on his Twitter timeline in, in Farsi, <laughs> uh, where he's sort of exhorting the Iranians, he's talking about his support for the protesters and exhorting the Iranian government not to uh, crack down on them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the past, uh, and I, I, I'm thinking specifically of the Green Movement uh, protests in 2009, uh, previous U.S. administrations have taken the position that expressing kind of overt support for protesters in Iran could be dangerous for the protesters. It could undermine their uh, potential support with the majority of the Iranian people who aren't out in the street protesting because it identifies them potentially as sort of uh, agents of the United States or, you know, allied in some way with the United States. It seems to me that concern should be uh, even greater at this point when we're talking about a president and an administration that has like gone out of its way to inflict pain and hardship on the Iranian people. Uh, do you think it's it's a good idea for Trump uh, to be expressing support or solidarity uh, with the protesters, or is that gonna you know be uh, is that a dangerous thing for the the protests potentially? I mean, that was a very nice, good point that you uh, mentioned. I mean, during the Obama administration with the Green Movement in 2009, that the response came very late, I would describe, uh, and people expected more sympathy from the administration. I mean, not in the form of threatening the government, the regime to be attacked, but at least they could have shown more sympathy and uh, a little bit earlier. But this time, I mean, the for this uh, kind of... Uh, 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 you know, showing sympathy from the Trump administration toward Iranian people, as they claim, while they are, you know, putting a 
crippling sanctions on people. People are dying from lack of medications and, you know, pharmaceuticals now being uh, being subject to sanction. I, you know, people also doubt that, uh, to be honest with you. And I don't know how that could convince people of Iran, even uh, especially those who uh, have uh, re- zero sympathy with the regime's action toward uh, the protests. I don't understand. I don't see how they could convince them that the U.S. administration is on their side and, uh, you know, cares about their lives. So uh, it seems to me that, you know, the brutal, the more brutal the regime gets, the more satisfied those who are calling for regime change are. And people are not blind. People see that. You know, historically, uh, whenever since the last, uh, I mean, since the last 40 years, uh, since the Islamic Repu- existence of the Islamic Republic, whenever Iran has been, uh, you know, um, open to the world, the government and the regime has also felt more accountable. It has generally improved people's lives and it has generally increased their demands. So when there is sanctions and the, that so-called ma- maximum pressure is really, uh, yeah, it is uh, economic pain for the government and for the for the for the Iranian people. But it's also, uh, I truly believe, it's also uh, causing people to distrust foreign governments. Whoever is, uh, I mean, how can you be on the side of Iranian people when you are when you don't care about their uh, their lives when you don't care about how they are living you know that's the question that people ask and uh, so i uh, i hope uh, voice of reason as i mentioned would would prevail and there would be some way out of this uh, you know uh, deadlock regarding the uh, maximum pressure and sanctions and i hope there would be a solution for the um, for the uh, you know bringing to life uh, uh, Iran nuclear deal, which is on life support. I don't want to describe it as completely dead. Let's see how Europe, but if, but if uh, European can do something about it. It's been, I mean, the, the protests that we saw sort of over the last couple of months before um, all of this Soleimani business happened um, really had to do with uh, austerity measures that were undertaken by Hassan Rouhani's government with uh, cutting fuel subsidies, ostensibly to put that money into a, a, a sort of cash payout for, for the poor. But I think people were uh, convinced it was just another another measure to kind of make them, uh, you know, make them hurt a little more economically or struggle a little more economically. Um, can you talk about but i mean as you said in your your last answer people are not blind i think to what what is causing a lot of that economic pain which is this you know external thing the united states uh you know imposing sanctions and and now even you know upping the sanctions on uh you know pretty much almost every aspect of the iranian economy at this point when when people are out in the streets protesting against the government because they're struggling economically, I think it gets 
uh, read in in certain circles in Washington, people who are inclined to, uh, you know, want to see the Islamic Republic on its last legs at any point because they're they're hoping for that. Uh, it gets read as a good sign for the United States, but but you talk about you know what to what degree do people really blame uh, the Iranian government for their their struggles, economic struggles. Uh, versus, you know, understand or blaming sort of the the United States and and its its actions. Actually, they do. They do blame the government and the regime. You know, first of all, the corruption is really so obvious now. It's not something that uh, uh, the uh, regime is has been accused of for no reason. There is broad. Uh, uh, corruption, there is mismanagement in every aspect that you can, uh, you know, see. Also, this uh, um, Iran's meddling uh, in uh, different regions, that's not something that people approve, especially when it's being done at their cost, you know. But the problem with the with most recent, uh, you know, uh, increasing the the price of the fuel was that the uh, major mistake, the biggest mistake, you know, stunning mistake was that they did it at the cost of poorest, poor people in Iran. You know, there are uh, other groups, uh, other classes in Iran who obviously they could Im- uh, impose some taxes upon them. But because those groups have strongest lobbies, you know, they couldn't, obviously, they, the government felt uh, not powerful enough to impose tax upon them. So they started with the poorest people. Imagine, you know, when you have, you are just uh, uh, buy uh, cheap fuel to uh, do, uh, to work as a taxi or something to, you know, earn a few dollars for your family. And suddenly, Overnight, this is uh, at unbelievably high price. So that was the, I would describe as one of the major uh, mistake that uh, typically Islamic Republic does it first and then think about it. So that was really the major uh, uh, the major mistake, but uh, um, I don't know if I answered the question or. Uh, no, I think I mean I, I I think it's it's what what you're saying is it's really about you know how the like the pain to some extent is being inflicted uh, through hmm. the sanctions from from outside Iran, but it's how the government is choosing to kind of. Uh, yes, it's a combination, combination of both, you know, and people see that, obviously. But imagine, you know, poor people, when you're poor and you uh, really have no way out and, and you don't see any solution, it's really hard to sell to them that it's the foreign government who is uh, preventing us from taking care of you. You know, people, do, I mean, they would... Uh, Whole, you know, hold you accountable. It's not that they would say, oh, wow, that's, uh, you know, United States maximum pressure. It's not that they can't sell it to people, which is, it is a factor. It is really a major factor, obviously. But uh, when you are poor, when you are hungry, you don't, you don't buy that, you know, and that is the dilemma uh, with, the, with the Islamic re- regime for uh, in the last 40 years. But this time, obviously, I mean, they in the past, there was war. They could justify all these, you know, uh, economic hardships. 
with uh, the country being attacked and occupied by a foreign country. But it's difficult to sell it this this times uh, since the you know people also uh, I don't think they approve uh, they approve uh, the money being spent elsewhere in other parts of the world uh, in you know other uh, countries in the region and not uh, not uh, not on them I, that's also uh, another new factor I would say I would describe people are more aware of what's going on I would say that that's an interesting point I think and I was gonna that, that's where I was gonna kind of go it, it's I mean to some extent you know people are more aware but and, and to some extent I mean you know like during the Iran Iraq war, the the yeah. the sort of crisis was all around, but as you pointed out, I mean, in in this situation, uh, you you know, if you're a, a you know working class person or poor person in Iran, uh, sort of being forced to to uh, take on the burden that that's been imposed by the the weak economy, you can look around and see you know, people doing quite well for themselves, you know, people in sort of wealthier classes doing quite well for themselves. Mm -hmm. You can look around and see the Iranian military kind of active in all these places uh, abroad. And, and, you know, it's sort of like, why am I being made to deal with? Why is it? Why is the burden falling on me and the people that are uh, in my position to to sort of bear the brunt of the the pain here? Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. Um, along those lines, I guess, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, how Iranian politics, uh, have been affected by everything that's happened here. And, uh, I know there's, there's no presidential election until next year. Um, one of the things that, that's challenging, I think, uh, in my experience, at least to sort of describe to an American audience is the nature of Iranian politics and the comparison between uh, somebody like uh, Hassan Rouhani and somebody like uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, uh, whose politics don't really fit in the sort of left-right scheme that that you see in the U.S. And I'm, I'm wondering, because Ahmadinejad is somebody who's identified as sort of arch-conservative, you know, nationalist, very opposed to the West, which is all true. But along with that, his economic program uh, was much more sort of robust in terms of taking care of people uh, who were struggling. Um, Rouhani has been more open to the West, more open to sort of social reform and, uh, you know, things that that map on the left here. Uh, But his economic program has been very much about uh, kind of pro-business austerity, uh, kind of neoliberal type economics. And I'm wondering um, if things continue like this, and assuming there's no, uh, you know, uh, no more major shifts uh, by next year, is there an opening for somebody with uh, Ahmadinejad's sort of bag of, of policies or politics uh, you know, sort of hard line against the West, but uh, open to, to stronger welfare programs and, and payouts. Uh, is there an opening for somebody like that to to emerge in the presidential election? 
You know, we have, we should not forget that during Ahmadinejad, uh, first of all, Ahmadinejad is the one behind all the sanctions, UN sanctions uh, being imposed upon Iran. Yes. Remember that that was during uh, his tenure that uh, Iran uh, resumed uh, uranium enrichment and uh, IEA uh, inspectors were sent home and, you know, he called all these sanctions it, just a piece of paper, you know, worthless. That's what that's exactly his exact words. But uh, he was lucky that during his presidency, oil price was really high and he managed to uh, offer poor people. Uh, he, he managed to keep some of those campaign promises. He was very successful as cash distribution, uh, which people obviously like anywhere in the world, I think. And uh, the price of oil was was high and he was uh, relatively um, popular, I would say. That was uh, that was during the uh, things that really played into uh, his hand, uh, they, uh, and also Obama administration, when they figured out uh, not, not being a hawk. Uh, but um, uh, with, with Rouhani was, uh, you know, the uh, worst thing that could have happened to him was uh, this oil price uh, and uh, sanctions, broad sanctions, really unbelievable and unpredictable. Uh, level of sanctions being imposed upon Iran. So what I could see as a threat uh, who comes to power after Rouhani is more than any conservative is the IRGC. Uh, I mean, a military government that is that that's the concern of a lot of people. If the economic sanctions and uh, they call for regime change, and uh, things like that go on and uh, would, uh, you know, continue. I uh, suspect that IRG, it would really empower IRGC, that they would see the, uh, more restrictions on people, more crackdown on people uh, would be their only chance of survival. And I think more than, you know, Ahmadinejad or any other conservative figure, I think, uh, the more hardship and more um, uh, um, economic hardship would would definitely empower uh, uh, military uh, would could bring to power a military government and not a, a regular military. We are talking about IRGC, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Uh, I think those who are those are who have more potential to take to resume uh, all power or branches of power in Iran. So, I mean, you're talking about a, a, a full military takeover. I mean, there was always speculation, or at least, you know, I, I wouldn't hear speculation that uh, Soleimani might run for president one day. And of course, that's not gonna, not going to happen now. Uh, but you're talking about an, a, a, an actual military takeover, like underneath the, the Islamic Republic with the, the sort of uh, supreme leader still sort of overseeing everything. But, but below that... Uh, there's a there's a military like a full military coup kind of a, a a situation is that is that what you're talking about i i wouldn't describe it as a coup because they also need some legitimacy and they are not going to topple say uh, a government like rohanis and and take over the power that's not going to happen but they would run 
for president. And they okay. would obviously they have more uh, all means, you know, to reach out to poorest people and they have all uh, they have wealth, they have all resources uh, in their control. So they could I think they would be more successful than than any uh, any any party, any faction running for president. So it's not that they would let somebody, a civilian government, come to power. Then they would topple them and uh, replace them. Okay. They would just run and they would pose as democratic. You know, they would just uh, show themselves within the democratic process as running, campaigning, but. At the end of the day, it is the same thing. You know, right. it's more power for, more power for IRGC. How has the IRGC done? I mean, in the last period of heavy sanctions before the, uh, you know, sort of early in the Obama administration, before the negotiations that led up to the 2015 nuclear deal, the IRGC did very well for itself in terms of uh, gaining control of sectors of the Iranian economy. It was sort of the only game in town in terms of you needed to do a construction project, you had to go through the IRGC, and they really amassed a lot of um, economic power uh, that, that they hadn't had as an institution before that. Uh, how have they done in this, you know, the current round of sanctions? Are they gaining more power or have they... Uh, you know, gotten back to the level that they had previously, or, or you know, where where do they uh, sort of stand in that respect? Yeah, you know, it it didn't start during the with the uh, Iran nuclear deal or uh, during uh, you know Rouhani or Ahmadinejad. First of all, uh, IRGC has been in process to gain more power since the you know, uh, especially after the. Uh, eight years of Iran-Iraq war, but now they are more powerful than ever than ever before. You know, they uh, got, the more the government is under pressure, economic pressure from the Western countries from or through the sanctions, the more they gain power. You know, now they feel they uh, they are first of all they were opposing the nuclear Iran nuclear deal that we have to keep to bear in mind that. Uh, they were opposing the deal, and uh, they uh, eventually meant, you know, uh, Iran should never give up its uh, uh, nuclear capability or uh, nuclear enrichment. We should never trust the Western country. We should never trust the United States. That was their argument. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, eventually, uh, now there are uh, some revelation, revelations that they have, uh, you know, uh, have been assigned more resources, more financial resources since the, you know, Trump administration's maximum pressure. They are going to have more power and uh, definitely more, uh, you know, uh, more more financial, uh, more financial resources in their hand. Uh, so uh, that that is what I mentioned uh, earlier that you know I don't see how maximum pressure could help Iranian people because it's really giving free hand it's giving more it's making more powerful those who are uh, uh, have been extremely good at at uh, at putting so much pressure on people and cracking down on their protests and being so ruthless.
to some extent, it would seem like um, that position, the, the sort of you can't trust the West, you can't trust the United States, that position has been vindicated uh, by the fact that the Trump administration withdrew from the nuclear deal and reimposed sanctions. It was sort of, see, we were right. Uh, we shouldn't have done the nuclear deal because the United States uh, was going to betray us <coughs> at some point. Um, I, I, I want to ask you, uh, first of all, about the, the upcoming uh, parliamentary election, which is happening next month, um, and how you see uh, both recent events and the fact that sort of the pro-engagement with the West you know, kind of wing of Iranian politics has been, I, I, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think has been discredited to some degree. Um, you know, where, what do you expect to happen uh, in the, the legislative election next month? Let's start there. Uh, you know, considering what's going on right now at the moment that we are talking and the most recent uh, crackdowns on protesters, my I suspect that people would stay away from polls. You know, more disengagement. Uh, I see more disengagement from young people, from students, from intellectuals. And that could obviously help the more conservatives and hardliners. So there is a good chance that the next uh, parliament of, you know, Majlis of Iran will have more uh, conservatives. It's going to be, uh, um, you know, uh, we saw that right after the reformist president Khatami was out of uh, uh, power. Uh, we saw the, a, you know, that conservatives gain more power. So, uh, um, my prediction is, I, I could never tell for with 100% uh, certainty, but I think uh, I, we could expect more conservatives in the in the parliament and even more people close to IRGC, you know, uh, even closer than before. So yeah, that's going to also impact parliamentary election. And what does that do in terms of the chances let's say, of engagement at some point. I mean, I know uh, it's far-fetched anyway, but, but the, the, the Trump administration keeps saying their goal is not regime change or anything like that. Their goal is to, to you know, negotiate, to make a new deal with the Iranians. You know, whether that's true or not is sort of, I guess, up to your interpretation. Um, but there is the possibility that, you know, by this time next year, we're going to be preparing for uh, a new president to take office who will uh, have different views on Iran, presumably. Um, what what are the chances, you know, assuming that the, the Majlis election goes the way that you think it's going to go and uh, the way, you know, it, it, under the, the current climate uh is there a chance for some resumption of diplomacy between the u.s and iran uh, in the near future or are we looking at again you know in part because uh I, I, you know i suspect the iranians feel and even the iranian people uh feel like they've been burned once already you know engaging with the u.s uh, is there a chance that there could be a resumption? And what would, a, 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 let's say, a new U.S. presidential administration have to do uh, 
uh, to sort of, you know, increase the possibility uh, of diplomatic engagement? I think both uh, Iranians and Europeans have put a lot of hope on the on a new administration that would resume or go back to the nuclear deal, to the uh, JCPOA, uh, to 2015 nuclear deal. Uh, I think Iran has put all hopes, all eggs in that basket, hoping that uh, the you know uh, Trump would not be reelected, a new administration would come back to the to the same deal and eventually would uh, reverse some of the actions of this administration. Uh, if for any reason uh, Trump is uh, reelected, uh, I think uh, they would they would drag it until the next election. I think they would hold on until the next election. And if the Trump is reelected and the same administration is going to, to be in power in in the in the U.S., uh, I think they would see the threat of war higher than before of any attack from the U.S. Uh, would they, the threat of any attack they would see higher than before. Uh, but uh, there is a good chance that they would also eventually start uh, some kind of engagement uh, with the administration, you know, just in the hope that... Uh, uh, you know, when they feel completely cornered, and uh, uh, if they see no other no other way out, but uh, assume that IRGC is not in power. You know, I really don't see how a government of uh, with IRGC as a pre- uh, having as you know if somebody close to IRGC as a president and uh, with IRGC having more power than before and control than before coming back to a uh, negotiations table or I mean or adjusting themselves to the term and uh, new terms and conditions conditions from the Trump administration I don't see that but yes you know we have to wait and see okay so my last question is um, more speculative but um, <laughs> my my uh... Uh, I think people are curious, at least, and and certainly there are, um, you know, reasons to wonder about this. Uh, how do you see things going at the supreme leader level with uh, Ayatollah Khamenei? Um, you know, he's he's up there in years. He's been unhealthy for a while now. There is certainly, at any given moment, a, a potential that. Uh, there could be a, a, a leadership change at the very top in Iran. Um, who who do you you know? If, do you have anybody you kind of kind of see as the uh, the heir apparent in a sense? And and what would that you know kind of change do in terms of Iran's engagement with the world? Uh, well, it's really, as you mentioned, it's a very, very difficult question. And I also, I don't want to speculate, but I can tell you this, that he, uh, the Supreme Leader, uh, the Khamenei himself, is uh, feel very cl- close to the IRGC. And uh, whoever is going to replace him, and I assume he will make sure that he's in, he is, uh, you know, still alive while that happens. <laughs> Uh, whoever is going to replace him, I think he will uh, continue his policy and his trust toward uh, IRGC. It's not that 
you know, you can expect a revolution, a, some dramatical change uh, once he's uh, once he's gone. But let me tell you, just a thought is not really. I can't back back it up with any uh, with any document. But say if uh, uh, Khamenei would decide that the answer to current outrage and the protest out there is uh, some kind of change in his leadership or bringing in another, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, assigning somebody to replace him, I think that could really have an impact on uh, the direction that the country is going. So that would be somehow uh, a gesture of democracy, you know, like, uh, I heard you, I heard your voice, I heard, heard your argument, okay, I'm going to be out of power. But, you know, that's not typical for him, for his, uh, uh, you know, leadership, but that could also happen. And I think that would be, uh, that would have a positive, uh, uh, in their view, by the way, that would have yeah. a, a positive impact on the, uh, you know, in the society in general. You know, let's see, okay, yes, I'm gone. Uh, somebody else will replace me. And, uh, and I could, that, that could, that could make that could have an impact. Let's let's wait and see, as uh, President Trump always says. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought of one one last question. Um, let's wait and see. Which is uh, for for somebody who's observing Iran from from you know the U.S. or from uh, Europe even, um, and and you know trying to understand. Uh, what the Iranian government might do next? Is there what are the things to, to look for in terms of um, you know this is something that's really going to make the the Iranian government nervous? Like for example, uh, you know I, I, I remember you know there were people saying uh, when uh, these uh, sort of economic economically motivated protests started, and this was uh, you know a couple of years ago really. Um, or I guess, yeah, at this point, I guess it's been, <laughs> uh, at least like a year or more, uh, that these protests really, you know, that, that people started protesting. And one of the things that, that, uh, people, you know, analysts sort of highlighted was, uh, you know, if you watch the way that these protests are growing, unlike 2009, which was, you know, a lot of it, like the bulk of that protest was, uh, confined to Tehran and involved sort of the the urban uh, kind of educated classes upset over the outcome of the election and uh, going out on the streets and it was large it was a very large number of people in the streets uh, comparatively some of these economic protests have been smaller but they've been more widespread they've gone you know they spread out to, to more cities and uh, they're, they're sort of, as you pointed out, I think earlier in, in this interview, they're sort of including people of uh, a, a different social strata that is, you know, uh, maybe more worrisome to the Iranian government. What are, what are sort of the, the characteristics of, of a movement that would really kind of uh, set the, the Iranian government on edge? Uh, you you know you, you correctly uh, mentioned the uh, you know sporadic uh, uh, protests, which I think it's uh, going to be more dangerous for the entire for the establishment. You know when you have 
the uh, protests concentrated in a big city like the capital, you know, it would be manageable. Uh, manageable in uh, their uh, in their view, and which not obviously is that wasn't management the way they cracked down on the uh, protests in the 2009 uh, post-election uh, gatherings and, and demonstrations. But uh, they could manage if it's local, if it's concentrated in big city in a big city like Tehran. But I think it would make it more more uh, shaky for the establishment if it's uh, other small cities in really even villages as we saw just recently. So the threat is that uh, if the protests continue the way they have, uh, I think then the people would not differentiate and they wouldn't care about any possible uh, difference between say reformers or hardliners they see the entire regime as united and uh, you know i mean unified and uh, uh, in confr- in front of the, of them you know they if they see a regime the regime as unified and as uh, described as enemy i think that would be very very dangerous for uh, for the establishment. And I think they are uh, taking that seriously. That is uh, maybe the reason why uh, uh, in recent crackdowns, they were also, I mean, they were unified in response. They didn't, uh, um, they didn't, uh, yeah, I mean, in the, the ones they protest like two years ago, uh, or a year ago, there were some speculations that IRGC is playing their hand, uh, you know, into some of these protests against the uh, government of uh, Hassan Rouhani. Uh, but uh, the recent one, the most recent ones, and if it goes on, if it continues the way they have, I think they won't then see, and uh, people won't see any difference between any faction in the government. And that could be really, that could shake uh the uh, entire existence of the Islamic Republic. Okay. Uh, thank you, Fatima, uh, for coming on. I think uh, it's you have a, a wonderful perspective on what's actually happening in Iran, which which is often, I think, missing from the coverage because it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult for the media to get in there and it's difficult for uh, analysts here to, to sort of observe what's happening over there. So I think uh, it's it's important and, and I, I hope people will uh, appreciate that. And so thanks. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me today. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And... Once again, I want to thank Fatem Aman for coming on the show and uh, I think giving us some very valuable perspective uh, from Iran as somebody who has observed Iran, who uh, knows Iran internally in a way that um, you know most of us, me included, uh, do not. Uh, so I think that was uh, uh, an excellent perspective to add as you're sort of trying to get a grip on what's happening over there in the wake of the Soleimani assassination, in the wake of the airliner being shot down and the protests. 
uh, hopefully that's helped to shed some light on, on where things stand. Uh, that's it for us. Uh, as always, until next time, uh, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.